songbooks to my country, Tis of Thee, number 698, number 698 in your songbooks. I'm looking forward to our 4th of July picnic, and of course, we thank God for the freedoms and liberties we enjoy as a people in the United States of America. Number 698, my country, Tis of Thee. and the right to gather like this in the United States of America. We think sometimes that the Bill of Rights gives us this right. No, God has given us this right, and we will not forsake it. I'd like to ask everybody to stand for our scripture reading and join Tom as he reads out loud our text today. It's Luke chapter 4, Luke 4, verses 14 through 21. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on a Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Esaias. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, and to preach deliverance to the captives, 
and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptance, acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Amen. Amen. As we sing the next song, Children's Church is dismissed. So remain standing. Open your songbooks to 310, The Old Rugged Cross. Jesus came to preach deliverance, and it was through his shed blood on Calvary's cross that we may be delivered through faith in him. 310, as children are dismissed to Children's Church. All three verses, please.
needed. Well, I struggled a little bit with trying to tie some things together. Last week, as you know, I started preaching out of the Old Testament prophet's book, Obadiah. And to just stop so soon didn't seem quite right. It didn't seem the Lord was leading me to do that. But, of course, this week we celebrate the independence of the United States of America from Great Britain. And I was wondering about some sort of freedom or um, that kind. (laughs) I guess he's emphasizing that. We have freedom to bang on the windows if we want to. <laughs> At any rate, um, you know, what, what do I do about America's independence uh, as far as the sermon today? Plus, it's the first Sunday of the month, so we have the Lord's Supper to kind of bring into the focus. Bear with me. I did my best, okay? <laughs> and I believe that the Holy Spirit did lead. As we begin, if you have your Bible open to Obadiah, let's read verses 3 through 10, okay? Follow along as I read this, and then we'll pray together. Obadiah, verse 3, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee before, I'm sorry, brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in them. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the mount of Esau? And thy mighty man, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob's shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you are sovereign over the affairs of every individual in this room over what's going on in Montana. We know that you're sovereign over the United States of America and all the nations of the earth, as is evident in this prophecy written by Obadiah. All of these details were fulfilled, and yet there are some yet to be fulfilled, and we know that they will be in your perfect timing and in your perfect way. And Father, because Edom despised God's chosen people, Israel, back in that day, he judged them. Father God, in America, we love this country. We love the freedoms that we enjoy. And also, 
our independence from tyranny. And yet there is certainly a trend in the United States to go back in under the control of others who would also do harm to the nation Israel. You've promised to bless those who bless Abraham's descendants and also to punish those who do not. Father God, I ask you that America would be the type of country that stays with your program in the, in all biblical matters, although we have drifted in many ways. I ask you that you would bring us back to the mooring that we once had as, as the Bible being our standard and authority, but also, Heavenly Father, that we would stand with your people Israel. We know that they're not Christians. They're not saved yet. Though an individual, any individual can be. Father God, I ask you that you would also do a mighty work among those people, that many of them would recognize Jesus is their Messiah, the one who gave his life for, the, for their transgressions and was bruised for their iniquities as was for us. And as we observe the Lord's Supper in a little bit, I ask you, Heavenly Father, that we would not, not forget but remember afresh what our Savior has already done for us and them. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week in our introduction to Obadiah, we explored some interesting spiritual truths and some historical references and some family issues. Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament. He was a prophet of the God's, a prophet of God's. In fact, his name means servant of the Lord. He served the Lord God during some dark, difficult, dire times in the history of his homeland, Judah. Yet he kept on keeping on for the Lord. A challenge there for each and every one of us. Yes, America may face some dark, dire times. We can keep on keeping on for the Lord, and we must. He was not silent. We must not be silent. He told the truth even when it was rejected. Dear Christian, we live in a day not all that different. God is mocked. Christians are hated, and the truth is rejected here in America. Here is the postmodernist definition of truth. Are you ready for this? Truth, T-R-U-T-H, colon, and in parentheses, T-R-O-O-T-H, if you don't know how to pronounce it. It's a noun, number one, quote, a fundamental reality defined by a person's perceived experience, end quote. Want me to read that again? Or did you get it? That's the postmodernist definition of truth. Truth is relative and changing, and it must, according to their view. Many of us grew up in the age of postmodernism. Yes, in Obadiah's day, the truth is rejected, and in our day, the truth is rejected. Now, in the early mid 1900s AD, Modernism was the worldview that prevailed and was popular, claiming that science would reveal truth and that modern science was the answer to the ills of society. 
Poverty would be solved through economic science. Diseases would be cured by medical science, including cancer. There would be world peace and no more war because of political science. Mental illnesses would be overcome by psychological science. Mankind would live in utopia. The climate would be a paradise. And God was not needed. That was modernism. Then came World War I and World War II and Korea and Vietnam and the riots of the 60s and the hippies and Watergate and our generations realized that modernism didn't work. Its truth found in the modern scientific method let us down and wasn't true after all. But God was still not needed. So in our pride, sociologists and philosophers came up with a postmodern worldview. And so truth was actually unknowable, as Ken mentioned in Sunday School, relative. For one thing, if there was perceived reality, fact, or truth, it could not be understood by anyone other than the initiator. If it could be comprehended by one, it was deemed impossible to communicate to another. Truth was unknowable and uncommunicable. And even if that could be possible, it could not be comprehended by the recipient. That's the postmodern view of truth. And so the narrative, quote, there is no such thing as absolute truth. You've heard that. You know the answer to that one, right? Are you absolutely sure? (laughs) So we've got virtual banking, virtual work, virtual recreation, and virtual reality. There are virtual marriages by men with women and men with men and women with women who think they are married, but it's virtual, it's relative. And then kids who are confused by all this and think they're bunnies or horses or dogs or whatever gender they want to be and So we have a bathroom sign, a couple of signs in a local cafe here in Eureka that say, whatever, just wash your hands. That's where we've gone with postmodernism. And we have politicians like AOC that say money is meaningless. Cows are bad for the environment. And all buildings need to be torn down and rebuilt and Transportation, as we know it, eliminated. One thing is for sure, she cannot communicate her perceived truth to me. I don't get it. By the way, in my hands and on your lap is truth, dear friend. Jesus said (laughs) that 
Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. God's word is true, and you can know it, and I can know it. Praise God for that. Let's never let that guard down. Obadiah lived in a time when God was mocked and God's people were hated also. Like many in America. The Arabians to the south, the Philistines to the west, the Assyrians and Babylonians to the north and east, and the Edomites to the southeast. The focus of Obadiah's prophecy was toward the descendants of Esau, the Edomites, likely in about 840 B.C. And if that's so, and I believe it is, he may have known and probably did know Elijah and Elisha, the prophets to the northern ten tribes. What were the Edomites like? Well, verse 2 tells us, Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. They were so vile that even the heathen nations around them despised the Edomites. There are nations that I hear about in this world that are like that. Verse 3, they were puffed up by their own pride and arrogance, and God hates that. One verse that I did not quote last week is Proverbs 8.13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate, God said. The Edomites had built those amazing cliff cities like Petra that I meant that was on our bulletins last week. And it had gone to their heads. They thought they were the elite. And like Esau, their founder, they didn't need God. Look at the end of verse 3. Who shall bring thee down to the ground? <laughs> or me, I'm sorry. Who shall bring me down to the ground? Their pride had gone to their head. Remember, Esau back in Genesis chapter 25 and on, was a self-made man. That used to be quoted quite often, but in reality, dear friend, there is no such thing as a self-made man. There really isn't. Not in reality. He sold his birthright to his brother Jacob, and that for a bowl of soup. That birthright involved many things, but most important was his relationship with the one true God. He gave it away. He didn't want it and didn't care about it. He threw, he threw away a relationship for him and his family with God. That's what he did when he sold that birthright for a bowl of soup. Genesis 25:34 says, Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage and lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. His descendants, the Edomites, were so arrogant that they were likened to eagles with their heads in the clouds. Did you notice that as we read verse 4? And their nests high in the cliffs, seemingly to the stars. The Edomites trusted in their own abilities. They had storehouses and treasures and vineyards so much that even if thieves could rob them, there would be more than enough, as it says in verse 5. <clears throat> if these came to thee, if robbers by night, 
And then there's the parentheses. Would they not have stolen till they had enough? It reminds me of people nowadays that have a massive portfolio, big houses, treasures, artwork, food stored up for years, and so on. You remember the parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 12. Jesus warned, take heed, verse 15, and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. The parable he told to the rich fool, he went on to say, And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose, then, yeah, whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That is emblematic of Esau and Edom. The point is, they didn't need Lord. They just didn't need God like Esau didn't. And that was pride. The Edomites were like that. And even worse, they plundered those who were already beaten down and oppressed for their selfish gain, as we read in verse 10. And God knows all about it. God knows all about it. Verse 6 may be the key verse to Obadiah. It certainly is a key verse. How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? Dear friend, nothing is hidden from the eyes of God. Nothing good or bad are hidden from the eyes of God. Some may think they can. That is not so. King David testified in Psalm 139, verse 1, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compass my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. In Proverbs 15.3 it says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. God knows. He knows. He knew Edom's Motives and heart and Esau's, their great-great-grandfather. God knows. He knows your very thoughts afar off. He knows when you fear. He knows when you need him. He knows when you honor him. He knows when you love him. Yes, he knows your pain. And he knows all of that as Hebrews 4, verse 15 says was that the Lord Jesus was tested in every way, yet without sin. He also knows our motives. He, knows, he knew Esau's and Edom's motives for what they did. One author wrote of this verse, How are the things of Esau stripped bare? God looks down and nothing is hidden from him through his omniscience and he reads the very thoughts and intents of the heart, as his word reveals in Hebrews 4, verse 12. And he can rightly say, Esau have I hated. That would be the ways of Esau and Edom. God hated. 
their ways. Verse 7 says, All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. The neighboring countries around Edom who had some sort of pact or treaty for peace with Edom were deceivers. God knew that. Yes, they were liars. By the way, deceit is lying. And God would someday use them against this nation, Edom, these evil people. But even those confederate nations didn't understand yet that they could be used as instruments in God's hands. There was no understanding in them. Here's a, just a quick note. America had better pay attention to who we make accords and treaties and pacts with. I'm thankful for our independence from England and the freedoms we enjoy from God. Let's not give it away. And we can speak out along these lines and vote, certainly, when you have the opportunity. Maybe there's something else you can do. Verse 8 shows the conceit of Edom and Esau. They thought that they knew oh so much. They were smarty pants, as some parents tell their kids just before a learning opportunity or a learning moment, you know. God was basically saying that to them. They were wise in their own eyes, and God would show them a thing or two. Verse 8. They thought that they had the corner on the knowledge market, just like many of the smug in our day. We all just experienced some of that in the last few years. We did. The WHO and the CDC, Center for Disease Control, and their conceited health professionals told us commoners to do one thing during COVID while they did another. Common sense, certainly, no. We were told to follow the science, weren't we? After all, they were the ones in the know. Here is a sample of what God says about the wisdom found in our world apart from him. Here's a sample. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, that's the lost, foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Praise God for that. For it is written, verse 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? He will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent, just as he did in Edom. He will, in our generations to come. What about the mighty men? 
who hold political offices and deny or mock God, as verse 9 says. And thy mighty man, O Teman, shall be dismayed. Hmm. There was a day when all their power meant nothing. God took it away and destroyed it. They were dismayed at their lack of might and ability to overcome God's plan. That was the Edomites. What or who in this verse was Teman? Jeremiah wrote about this also. Jeremiah 49 verse 7 says, Concerning Edom, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Is wisdom no more in Teman? Apparently not, according to Jeremiah. Is counsel perished from the prudent? Is their wisdom vanished? It's all implied, oh yes, it has vanished. In Job 2 verse, verse 1 I'm sorry, verse 11. In Job 2, verse 11. In Job 4, verse 1. In Job 15, verse 1. And three other times we learn of one of Job's conceited friends that he called miserable comforters, named Eliphaz. He was the Temanite, remember? Eliphaz the Temanite. Then in Job 42, verse 7, It says, And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said unto Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. Eliphaz was an Edomite from the southern region of Edom called Teman. Teman was the grandson of Esau, Genesis 36, verse 11, and the land with his name was the southern portion of Edom. They may have been courageous, they thought they were mighty, but they trusted in their own might, as had Esau, but they too were cut off and are gone. They were cut off by slaughter. What was Edom also guilty of? I mean, their pride, their conceit in regard to knowledge they thought they had and their might because of their fortified cities and wealth and all of that. That was certainly some of the problem. Verse 10 tells us, as we just read a few minutes ago, for thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee and thou shalt be cut off. Forever. This is what Genesis chapter 12 says when God was speaking with Abraham, giving him the beginning, if you will, of the covenant with Abraham. God said, Now the Lord hath said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. There is so much there. But in a nutshell, we recognize that God had a plan for the ages. And Abraham was part of that plan. God made this covenant with Abraham and fulfilled it through his descendants until the whole world has been blessed by Jesus Christ, the
the Messiah Savior coming into this world. Those that bless thee, if you will, are a blessed people. And I believe that is one of the reasons America has been a blessed nation. Has been, and still could be. But it also says, curse him that curseth thee. Edom was cursed by their own hatred or violence against God's people. Called Jacob here. What encouragement did God give Judah or Jacob through the pen of Obadiah? Because, yeah, they were oppressed by the Edomites, but Obadiah gives them some encouragement. And we're going to t- wrap up, se- I'm put several, I'm going to, uh, as I've studied Obadiah, I realize there are several more sermons ahead. But let's look at verse 17, okay? Obadiah 17. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. God, through the pen of Obadiah, gave Judah, Israel, if you will, encouragement that he would take care of the problem. And he, and he has in many ways and will certainly in the future. Here's what Paul wrote to the Romans. Romans 11:26, And so shall all Israel be saved as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. That day is yet coming. Yes, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again, he will return to Mount Zion, Jerusalem, and among many, two great things will happen. Great judgment by him upon all the enemies of God's people. And all unbelief will be punished forever. The second great thing is God will give great blessings and they will be be disposed just a moment be I'll just say it this way they will be bestowed by Christ on God's people I didn't know those two words would make that difficult to say they through faith in him will be saved they'll be bestowed upon God's people but to tie this together for today, Jesus has already, already visited Mount Zion, hasn't he? Yes, he has. He's already, God in the flesh has already come down to Mount Zion once. He came the last time and delivered all who believe in him by what he did on Calvary. God came in the flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, and he shed his innocent blood there for you and for me. He physically died and was buried and rose again on the third day, just as the Bible says. He is the deliverer. He offers freedom from sin and is its consequence, that is, eternally. He delivers he does. Have you been delivered from the consequence of sin unto the Lord? If you're not sure, make sure today. 
if you are sure, this Lord's Supper that we're going to observe here in a few moments is something you and I can do in remembrance of him until he come again. He continues to deliver today those who believe in him. And he will forever. Let's praise him for that. Heavenly Father, as we soon will observe the Lord's Supper together as a group, I ask you that our focus would be on our Savior, our Deliverer from sin, from the eternal consequence of sin, but also the one who delivers us into the presence of our Lord once we pass from this life. Father God, I also ask you that we would learn from Old Testament books like Obadiah practical application for us as individuals, for us as a church body, even for our beloved America. Father God, I ask you that we would not have that in a wrong perspective because you are always first and foremost. But I ask you, Father, that you would change the hearts in our land, that those who are called by your name would humble themselves and pray and that you would heal this land. Heavenly Father, I also ask you that as we take of the bread and drink of the cup together, that we would realize our deliverance has already been paid for us. The price has already been tendered through the shedding of the blood, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ, our Deliverer. And Father God, I ask you that we would honor you as you deserve to be honored in this ordinance that we know of as the Lord's Supper. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. He was wounded for us as 301 is our closing song. Let's go ahead and stand as we sing. Maybe just a couple of verses of 301 together, okay? He was wounded, wounded for me as the title. Let's sing one and two and five, okay? One, two, and five.
amen to that. Hope to see you this evening, everyone. Thank you.